Welcome to Do We Know Things, a podcast where we examine things we think we know about sex. Content warning. This podcast will include discussions of sex and awkwardness. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton, professor of psychology and sex educator. Today on Do We Know Things, awkward questions from confused guys. So much of the sex advice and information is targeted to straight, cisgender women. Except, of course, for penis enlargement and boner pills. That's just spammed in a constant stream at anyone who might have a penis. Online, most of the sex educators with big YouTube channels and Instagram followings are mostly women, and they seem to have mostly women following them. I teach university-level psychology classes, a discipline that has more female students than males, at a university that also has more female students than males. And even with these skewed stats, I've noticed that my human sexuality class still seems disproportionately low on male students. Why are guys so uninterested in learning about sex? I know most of them are certainly interested in the act of sex, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of demand or resources targeted to men. From my experience on the internet, the majority of sex advice targeted at men is coming from pickup artists. So is it ignorance? Is it squeamishness? Is it an assumption that as a man, one must not show weakness and should just know everything already? Or maybe it's because heterosexual porn and sex and sex ed are all focused on male pleasure already, so there's less to learn to have the sex that is satisfying for hetero men. I disagree. I think there's always more to learn to enhance your sex life. So today we're delving into questions specifically by men for men. I'm joined by resident man, Matt Tunnicliffe, to discuss some man questions. We will talk about penis size, oral sex, coming etiquette, and more. That's coming up on Do We Know Things. But first, on the last episode, I talked to Dr. Nancy Argueta about shame and sexuality. We both got a lot of good feedback about the episode. One thing that came up that I thought we didn't emphasize enough was the effect of shame on people who fall under the LGBTQ plus umbrella. I often think of Hannah Gadsby's statement in her Netflix special, Nanette, where she talks about growing up hearing all of the negative messages around her about gay people and trans people and being constantly told you are bad, wrong, sinful, or not even constantly, just hearing that in the general environment is the best way to create shame in someone. Gadsby says, when you soak a child in shame, they cannot develop the neurological pathways that carry thoughts of self-worth. This is why it's so, so important to not have these negative messages about LGBTQ plus people being spread in your home, in your social circles, or your community at large. During the last episode, I also thought back to my interview with Mia Hunt from episode 16 on rethinking justice for sexual assault. Shame from both being harmed and causing harm and the consequences of that shame were something that came up repeatedly in our interview. Here are some excerpts that didn't make it into that first episode. First, Mia talked about the importance of disclosing to others about those things that cause you shame. Humanity cannot exist without community. Mm -hmm. Whether that is your small community, just the people living in your house, or the greater community, the world, and everything in between. Mm -hmm. With that being said, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about 
one human being not to be not being able to hold on and carry shame around on their own. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible to work through shame by yourself. Yep. It's just a constant conversation with yourself about how ashamed you are about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you're just bringing up shame and shame and shame for yourself all over again. Mm-hmm. So what it does is it makes it so that no one in that circle is carrying the shame or the story or any of that by themselves. And she talked about the common story we are told by our shame, that we need to hide. That's what shame tells us. Because that's another thing about shame. It is so isolating. Yeah. It comes in and lays, covers you, and it shuts you down and shuts you up. You can hear the full interview with Mia on doweknowthings.com slash episodes. The full interview is posted there along with episode 16. Most, if not all of us, have lived experience with shame. So if you can relate to these feelings, I hope you can find a safe space to talk about what is causing your shame. It can help you and it can help those around you. I really believe that it's one of the best things you can do for yourself. I think it's the one of the most healing things I've learned and practiced in my own life. And now, on to today's much lighter fare. I'm now joined by Matt Tunnicliffe, who's going to read questions from some definitely real guys. Thank you, Matt, for joining us today as the representative man. Thanks for having me. I've been listening for the last 18 episodes. I've learned a lot, but now looking forward to learning a lot more. All right. So what what do the men want to know, Matt? Well, you know, I would say in general, the men, they are confused. You know, <laughs> they don't talk a lot about sex. They don't have anywhere to turn when they want questions answered. It's mm-hmm. Here we go. Question one. Question one is from Steve. And Steve writes, as a sensitive, woke Gen Xer, humble brag there, Steve, uh, (laughs) I've always been told that size doesn't matter. And yet, everywhere I turn, in comedy, music, in film, both in mainstream and porn, even in architecture, it seems like size does matter. As a sex educator, can you help settle this debate about what I've been taught and what I see all around me in culture? Again, that's from Steve. All right. Great question, Steve. And my observation about this is, in fact, that men are obsessed with dicks. <laughs> like, really obsessed. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it's true that we do say size doesn't matter. But it's such a fear of men, I think, the this underlying idea that size is important. And then that's why you see it in film and comedy and music. And most of our you know, music, comedy, film, et cetera, are made by men. It's true. <laughs> and so it filters in there. Uh, and our buildings, those giant phallic-shaped buildings are built by men also. So there is research on this topic. And overall, most studies that ask heterosexual women about their thoughts about penises find that most of them don't really care. So, for example, uh, one study in Scotland found that only 16% of women said that penis size affected whether or not they had an orgasm from PVI. So, that was one specific study, but the the study itself was really obsessed with those women, <laughs> like just really drilled down on the 16% who said they had had uh, or that penis size affected whether or not they had an orgasm and then designed the whole rest of the study around those people. But 
Um, most of those women either didn't have orgasms from PVI. In fact, half of them didn't have orgasms from PVI. And the ones that did, only a tiny amount said that they that penis size mattered to them. There's also been a few other studies just specifically asking people um, if they care about size. So there was a, a Dutch study that interviewed or sorry, surveyed 170 women who had recently given birth. <laughs> Which, what? Yeah, I thought that was a weird choice of sample. I'm assuming it was because the doctors who were doing the study had access to them because they were coming back from checkups. But I just can't imagine after having your body like ripped to shreds by an infant coming out and then being like, tell me, lady, how important are penises in your life? Right. Not to mention, uh, being a dad, the first six months, you just don't sleep at all, like at all. Right. So it's like being asked that question, you're like, I don't, I don't, what, what's going on? I don't even know what's happening. Yes, exactly. So of these 170 heterosexual women who had just had babies, uh, only 1% said penis size was very important, uh, and 20% said it was important. The rest of them basically said it didn't matter. So 21% cared, the rest did not. Another survey that I found ethically egregious, the study described its methods as two male undergraduate athletes approached women on campus who they thought were sexually active. What? Yes. And then asked them, what do you prefer more? Or what's more important, length of penis or girth? And didn't give them the option to say, no, neither, or I don't care. It was basically just we know penises are important. What's more important, length or girth? And girth actually was more important than length in this sample. But again, this was a small sample of female undergraduate college students that some athletes thought were sexually active. Okay. What a weird study. Uh, other st studies have found similar stats. So basically, most women who have sex with penises <laughs> don't think it's that big of a deal. However... If you ask men about penis size, they think it's a pretty big deal. Um, so a huge study that was done through msnbc.com found that, uh, interestingly, actually, 66% of men reported that they felt their penis size was average, which in a bell curve, 66% is exactly like one standard deviation. <laughs> and so that is the average is usually 66% uh, of people fall in that one standard deviation from the mean. That's a, just a bell curve also looks like a penis kind of kind of yeah. <laughs> um, and they found that only 55% of men were satisfied with their penis. So that means 45% of men were unhappy with their penis and wanted a bigger penis. And 85% of the women were satisfied with their partner's penis size. Wow. So basically the, the findings are men get over yourself. Yes. Your penis is fine. Yes. Yeah. Size doesn't really matter. Exactly. Except to 20% of the people. Yes, exactly. And that's the thing. A lot of these things are individual vari variation. So for some people, penis size is a big deal. And it's like the main thing that they care about when they're having sex. Lots of other people, they don't care. Uh, so it really depends on the person. And so, but assuming that your entire worth as a sexual being is dependent on penis size is just not, doesn't make sense. So you, men, you can be free. Knowledge. Drop on the knowledge, Lisa Dawn. I have, Very good. I have one more study that I want to mention. And this was a study that asked, actually asked men and women what they thought the ideal penis size was. 
And men's ideal penis size was three centimeters larger than women's ideal penis size. And also, when they asked them, what do you think that other people think the ideal is? Men still thought that the women's ideal was three centimeters larger than women's actual ideal. And so, again, we see the theme that men are more concerned and focus more on length and or expect penises to be bigger and heterosexual women don't have those same expectations. It all goes back to those giant skyscrapers. It's yes. Exactly. Yes. <sighs> all right. That was question one. Question two. This one's from Chad. Dear Lisa Dawn. Oh, look, question two is already a weird phobia question. Question <laughs> two. I have this weird phobia. I always feel like I might run out of semen. Like one day I'll just have a, a reservoir that's run dry. It's not like I'm having sex constantly or anything. It's just I have this feeling that one day that'll be it, like a tap being turned off. Am I right? Am I wrong? Help, Chad. Thanks, Chad. I'm happy to reassure you that you are wrong. So unless there's some sort of medical problem, then no, you can't run out of semen. So we're going to go statsy again. Nice. <laughs> um, semen is made up of about 60 to 70% seminal fluid. So there's a seminal vesicle, which is a gland in your body that produces most of what semen is made out of. And 30% is prostate fluid. So most people are familiar with their prostate gland and about 1% is sperm. And all of those fluids, so the sperm, the seminal fluid and the prostate fluid, are all being produced on a very regular basis. And you can think of your seminal vesicle or your prostate vesicle in terms of a gland like saliva. So as I'm talking, I'm very aware of the saliva in my mouth and it continuously is being produced. It's the same sort of idea with um, seminal fluid and prostate fluid. One interesting thing, though, is that the rate at produ of production can change. So if you are, for example, ejaculating 10 times a day, you well, might find <laughs> there's not a lot left on go right, nine. Right, right. Um, or if you're really dehydrated, right? So if you're not drinking enough fluids and it's hot out like it is right now in Sackville, your, your mouth is going to get dry. Your saliva gland doesn't have liquids to draw from. But if you're regularly hydrated, that gland's going to be able to produce liquids. I think that's good advice for life is always stay hydrated, basically. Exactly. If you want to ejaculate to the stars, <laughs> keep those fluids up. Great advice. All right, let's go on to question three. We're, we're, we're sailing through these. Uh, this one's from Scott. One time I was having sex with a partner. We're no longer together. And I was taking my time reaching a climax. I got the feeling that someone was, something was a little off. My partner seemed a little bored, maybe? I mean, it's not like she was checking her phone, but I got the feeling she wanted the intercourse over. You hear stories um, of women frustrated with guys who come too fast, but what about guys who go on too long? Is there a right amount of time for intercourse? That's from Scott. This is a question I think that a lot of people have is, yeah, how long are you supposed to last? And my answer to virtually every question like this is it's totally dependent on the people involved. So same with penis size, same with length of penetrative intercourse. Different people are going to have different preferences. One of the things we talked about back in episode one of Do We Know Things is the the ratio or the how close a clitoris is to the open the vaginal opening it, and for people who have a clitoral uh, or their clitoris is closer to the vaginal opening during pvi their clitoris is getting pretty regularly stimulated 
For people who don't, and so that could be good, they might want it to go on longer. For people who don't have their clitoris that close to their vaginal opening, um, there might not be as much sensation. And so it might be potentially boring. <laughs> so some people might want to go on for a really long time because that's the only way they can have an orgasm through penetrative intercourse. But most people with vaginas and clitorises have orgasms in other ways. And I will tell you the average times. So there's actually been a couple studies of this, uh, one of which was like a large study of men from five different countries. And they specifically looked at heterosexual men in stable relationships who are having regular sex with their partner. And they found, this is one of my favorite phrases, uh, the overall median intravaginal ejaculatory latency, (laughs) which just means... After penetration occurs in the vagina, how long does it take you to come? Uh, The average across five different countries was about 5.4 minutes. And so that's kind of seen as normal. Um, Another study specifically excluded people who had uh, rapid ejaculation or what we often call premature ejaculation. And they found the average was about 7.3 minutes. And most studies seem to fall in that realm between five to seven minutes is kind of an average Then another study specifically looked at people and excluded anyone who had premature ejaculation. uh, And they found that the average was 7.3 minutes. So most studies say it's somewhere between five to seven minutes is the average. uh, And this seems to be consistent uh, globally in in the studies that have been done. One interesting study actually asked people about their average time and then also asked them their desired length of time. And... Men had an average time of around seven minutes uh, and desired it to be closer to 19 minutes. Uh, And women had an average of around seven minutes as well and desired an average of 14 minutes. Fascinating stats. Fascinating (laughs) stats. Because I mean, as someone who grew up in the the late 90s, you know, and there was all talk of sting and tantric sex. Right, right. Supposed to go on for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And and, and really like seven minutes is all it takes. Right. uh, And to be clear, that's seven minutes of penetration. So tantric sex can be all sorts of things that can go on for hours. So like the the sexual connection, all the sorts of activities can be hours and hours long if that's what you're into. But the actual penetration is short. But to go back to Scott's question about um, someone being bored during sex, I do think that's possible um, if they're not being stimulated in a way that's satisfying for them. It's all about listening to your partner. Exactly. So if you feel like your partner is maybe checking out, then probably she is. <laughs> and you can use your words, which is one of my favorite sayings, and ask what if she wants to do something else or what, what kind of stimulation she wants right now. Uh, one book that I've recommended on the podcast before also is called She Comes First by Ian Kerner, which I really like because he talks about his experiences with premature ejaculation. And essentially, the theme of the book is, you know, if you make sure that your female partner has come at least once before any penetration happens, um, then it doesn't matter how long you last. I mean, it still can be, if it goes on too long, it could be boring. (laughs) Um, But if the person is very satisfied before penetration even happens, um, then there's less for the penis haver to worry about. All right. More knowledge, more knowledge. You see, uh, again, yeah. The, the the seven minutes it, it's it's uh it's reassuring because like so so many jokes about uh, yes. co- uh you know coming too soon or, or whatever like the like this famous bit from flight of the concords make it love two minutes 
When it's with me, you only need two minutes, girl, because I'm so intense. Two minutes in heaven is better than one minute in heaven. Mm. You turn to me and say something sexy like, is that it? <laughs> oh yes, that's uh, that's some uh, classic ten-year-old comedy bit, but uh, that's uh, business time from Flight of the Concords. All right, so this one comes from Kevin. Here we are. Um, I'm always shy about asking my girlfriend for oral sex, so I either go without it, or it becomes one of those awkward scenes that Maya Rudolph and Christine Wiig talk about in the movie Bridesmaid. Here's a clip. He kept like putting it. Near my face. They do that, don't they? They do that. Let us offer. If we don't Please. offer, we're supposed to slap it away. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> what can I do to open up the conversation? And do women really like giving oral sex to men? Really? That's from Kevin. <laughs> so I'm going to start this answer with the same answer as last time. It totally depends on the person in terms of the liking oral sex. So absolutely, there are tons of women who love to give oral sex. There's lots of reasons for that. Um, it can Some people get off on the act itself. Uh, for some people, there's a sense of power, being able to control someone through having their penis in your mouth and providing them pleasure. For other people, it's the inverse. It's the submissive aspect of providing that pleasure to their partner. So absolutely, there are women who like to give oral sex, um, and there's also women who don't like to give oral sex. And one of the reasons for that could be bad experiences with past partners who, you know, do what Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig were talking about, where they just kind of flap it in your face and don't use their words. Um, or this also reminds me of the head pusher episode from the cartoon series Big Mouth on Netflix. Here's a clip from that. He's... A head pusher. He's a head pusher. He did a head push. Head push? What is a head push? It's when a man pushes a woman's head to try to get a blowjob. Wait, that's a move? Not a fan of the head push. Oh, my life. I've been waiting for them to go down there. I didn't know you could do a push. You can't push. No push. I'm not pushing, baby. Yes, obviously something big in the culture with so many different clips that talk about this particular issue. Yeah, and it is a phenomenon that people are just not good at talking about. And I think one of the biggest issues people have about sex is discomfort with communication. So our last Do We Know Things episode, we talked about shame and a that comes into this discomfort of asking for what you want, because then you're putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. Um, but, you know, flapping your penis in front of someone's face or shoving their head down uh, is very annoying and bad communication also and can just lead to confusion and frustration. So things that are important are using your words um, and it can be done in sexy ways. Right. Um, and also outside of the bedroom, having a conversation about things like fantasies or you can get checklists online of like sexual things you're interested in. And you could have that conversation with a partner uh, and go through the different things, which A, the conversation alone can be super hot and often can end up in sex. <laughs> uh, but also during that time, you can be like, I love blowjobs <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and it may be talk about what your partner might like about blowjobs or if they like giving them or yeah, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. And I think a really important thing here is A, asking and so using your words, but also letting the giver be in charge unless they've explicitly stated that they want you to just do whatever you want. Um, but if, especially if someone's a little hesitant around giving oral sex, um, you know, 
you can put a base or your hand around the base of the penis and control it, like allow her to control it herself so that she can get more comfortable if she's not comfortable. So it's okay to ask um, and definitely do ask instead of trying to insinuate through nonverbal communication. I think that also goes back to the idea of rejection. You don't want to get turned down totally. in the middle of, of sex kind of thing. Totally. That, uh, so you just kind of try and do it nonverbally. And, uh, and uh, so then it's not as bad if they're not into it. Exactly. And so, which is also why it's good to maybe talk about at a different t- point in time. Of course, if it's a one-time sex partner that you're maybe never going to see again, it, you obviously can't have that pre-conversation. So in that case, you are going to have to ask in the moment and be ready to accept the no if that's what the answer is. All right. Great knowledge. We are on a roll. Uh, I've got a question here from Doug. Dear Lisa Dawn, help. My girlfriend stuck a finger in my anus during intercourse the other night. She didn't ask. She just slid it in. At first, I was outraged, but then I kind of loved it. Now I want more things in my anus. But what's the deal now? Am I gay now? Help a confused guy out, Doug. That sounds like a confused guy. It is a confused guy. Should the girlfriend have slid the finger in without asking? Definitely not. (laughs) We're all about consent here at the Do We Know Things uh, podcast. And so any sort of stimulus like that, especially if you're introducing something new, especially if you're putting something into somebody else's body, it's really important to ask first. The end. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of the podcast. (laughs) That said, Doug, you're not gay. Yeah, definitely not. Um, This is something I've seen Dan Savage talk about this uh, a lot on his podcast and in his column. And he talks about how he gets all these letters from from guys and from their girlfriends saying, you know, I like this. Am I gay? My or my boyfriend likes this. Is he gay? And no matter what sexual stuff you're into, if it is with someone of the other sex. So if you're a man and it's with women and what you're attracted to is women you're not gay. Uh, lots and lots of straight dudes are into anal play and uh, and receiving anal play. And part of the reason for that, first of all, like the opening of the anus is full of nerve endings that are very um, sensitive. And also the prostate gland, um, which is hit when penetration is happening in the anus. So you can actually put your fingers or a toy into the anus and push against the prostate gland. And that is very satisfying stimulation, which also reminds me of another pop culture reference that ju- that's totally old is the American pie. Um, when Stifler goes and he has to, he's trying to dom- donate sperm and he, the nurse comes in, sticks her fingers in his butt, massages his prostate until he comes. And I forgot about that scene, but there you <laughs> see all our references are like early, late nineties movies. It's yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> Shows our age. Yeah. Uh, so, Prostate stimulation alone can cause ejaculation. So it's a very pleasurable sensation. Um, So it makes sense that fingers in butts feel good. And you can also put toys in butts. So there are butt plugs. There are some that are specifically angled so it'll hit the prostate in just the right way, which can be very satisfying. One caveat that I always give when talking about butt play or butt stuff is... Anything you put in your butt, make sure it has a base so that it cannot be accidentally sucked into your butt. So all butt plugs will have like a wider base so that it can't accidentally get sucked in. Um, And obviously fingers and penises and things are attached to humans. So (laughs) the entire person is not going to get sucked in. Yeah. So yes, definitely not gay. 
it's definitely totally standard for all dudes to like things in their butt, but lots of people don't feel comfortable with that, and that's fine too. But Doug's girlfriend asked before slipping a finger in. Definitely. All right. All right. Next question. Dearly Sedan, this is from Brent. Dearly Sedan, long-time listener, first-time writer. This is a bit of a delicate question, but what's the etiquette on ejaculation? Do we need to give partners a heads up before it happens and where it happens? Hmm. All right. So first of all, it depends whether or not you're wearing a condom. So say it's something where you're not wearing a condom and it's oral sex or a hand job um, or even penetrative intercourse. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty good to give someone a heads up before you ejaculate. A, because it can make things more exciting, like the I'm going to come can be arousing to your partner, um, but also so that they're not taken by surprise, especially if it's going to potentially go in their mouth or on their face or uh, end up somewhere that they're not expecting. Um, again, we always want to have consent with our ejaculates <laughs> or all of the things we do. So making sure, yeah, that they're aware of where it's going um, and when it's coming. And so they can also decide where they want it to go. Um, and it's also something you can have a conversation about beforehand, especially if you're having sex with someone without a condom. Is it safe to come inside of them? Should you come outside of them? If you come outside of them, where should you come? So I would say yes, it's good to give someone a heads up uh, and also a good to check in where they want it to go. And just as an aside, another note about coming etiquette is that with gay men, it's very common that you would have a cum rag, like a small towel that you would give to your partner after sex and after you've come to clean themselves up. And this just doesn't seem to be common in hetero land. Like heterosexual men generally don't have cum rags ready for their guests. And so that's something I'd like to see picked up by the hetero community. See, the things you learn on this podcast as a straight guy. It's, it's, exactly. It's, it's, it's great. It's great. I'd like to ask a follow-up question, if I may. Uh, condom etiquette. Um, there's always that weird moment uh, for guys where you have to kind of dispose of the condom. Uh, any tips on how to make it less awkward? Great question. Well, you're going to want to hold the base of the condom. Um, if you've come while inside the person, hold the base of the condom while you pull yourself out. And then I think you can just be like, hey, where's the bathroom? Or, hey, where do you want me to put this? Especially if you're at someone else's house. Um, if you're at your place, obviously, you know where you want it to go. And then you can take the condom off in the bathroom and roll it up and put it in the trash. Do not put condoms down the toilet. But I think just if you're- Oh, wait, wait. 90s movie reference. Uh, I, think it, I think it's Fight Club, where there's a shot of um, of a toilet bowl with a bunch of condoms in it because right. Brad Pitt's been going at it all night kind of thing. And I remember being in the theater going, no, <laughs> that happened. Yes, exactly. Do not put <laughs> condoms in your toilet unless you want very expensive bills for plumbing fixing. Yeah. I guess you didn't have to worry about that in Fight Club. So. Yes. Um, but also don't just throw your condom off the side of the bed. Um, you can do that if you tie it closed, throw it there if you want some like post-sex cuddle time, but make sure to not forget to then pick it up and right. throw that it in like the trash. Right, that sounds like an accident waiting to happen. Exactly. You're just like, oh, step off. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the ideal situation is throw it in the trash as soon as you're done. Um, but if you are going to just toss it aside, please tie it so that the cum doesn't spill out of it. There's always that if you are sleeping with someone for the first time and you're at their place, it's an unfamiliar location. There is always that weird moment as a guy mm -hmm. where it's like, I got this thing in my head. I got to dispose of it. It's like, 
uh, a tank. I need an exit. It's like <laughs> the Matrix, another '90s movie reference. Uh, and you're like, oh my gosh, you haven't had that conversation, or or or, or you know, everything's so hazy and warm and fuzzy right. that, that the woman is not saying, uh, you know, oh the the wasteful baskets over there kind of thing. So right, exactly. You've got that weird moment of panic right after mm-hmm. sex. What to, what to do with the condom? Yes, no need to panic. Just use your words. See, we're learning something all the time. Theme of the episode. Use your words. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you want to try this last question? Sure. All right. This is is our final letter. It's from Josh. Dear Lisa Dawn, it's been a long, lonely pandemic lockdown. I'm worried about hooking up with another partner in this time of COVID. So I worry it might be years before I have sex with another person. Is that a bad thing? I mean, I realize there are celibate people and chaste people, but going years without intimacy seems strange. What I'm really asking is, Will I lose my skills or is sex like riding a bike? It seems like two different questions, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I'd like to get your take on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so first of all, it's definitely not a bad thing to go years without sex with another person. You can still have sex with yourself. Um, I hope that's something you feel comfortable with. But also, I think a lot of people can empathize right now with that long, lonely <laughs> pandemic, lack of hookup, lack of human contact feeling. It's a hard time for a lot of people who are isolated. Um, but in terms of losing your skills or whether or not sex is like riding a bike, I would say that generally speaking, you won't lose your skills. Um, it might be a little rusty when you get back <laughs> in the saddle, but it's not like you're penis will stop working or your hands will forget what to do. Um, I think it's very much like riding a bike. Okay, well, at least now that's the end of the questions. Uh, our mailbag is completely empty, but what can we do if people have more questions? I'm sure there's lots of guys out there with way more questions than what we went through today. Absolutely. You can reach out to me at any time on Instagram at Do We Know Things. You can also email me at doweknowthings at gmail.com. I love receiving questions and we love to answer them on the podcast. So what have we learned today, Matt? You know, I, I come away from this this set of questions with three things. At first, uh, that men and women, but particularly men, don't talk enough during the act of sex or before making mm-hmm. a plan. Um, I think it must speak to their ego that they think they know everything and they 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 know instinctively how to pleasure their partner and and um, that yes, talking about and asking for things and not being afraid of shame and not being afraid of uh, rejection is something that uh, I think guys can work on mm-hmm. uh I, I your stats on the uh the size doesn't matter question i think are it's is fantastic uh, i mean first of all those studies are crazy uh <laughs> some, or some of the studies that you, you pointed out were crazy but uh yeah it, it, it really does kind of definitely definitively answer whether size matters or not for at least at least and it doesn't for at least a, a large majority of the population and uh finally you know, just the sort of amount of 90s and, and uh, naughties, uh movies and comedy <laughs> stuff that we've, we've quoted, that, that we, we derive so much of our, our sexual education through popular culture or mainstream culture. That, um, totally. And, and our, our misapprehensions come through, uh, you know, just a scene in a movie or, mm-hmm. a, or, a, or a funny song or whatever. So be constantly challenging those, you know, don't believe everything you see on screen. I guess that's the, the final thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. 
That's all for this episode. If you have any feedback or peer review of this episode, I'm always excited to hear from you. You can send me a voice memo recorded on your phone or just a written email to doweknowthings at gmail.com. You can find a script for this episode with references and extra info on the website at doweknowthings.com. All music and sounds in this episode are by Jeremy Dahl. Check him out at paleblue.ca. Script assistance and hosting assistance by Matt Tunnicliffe. That's me. Thanks to Julia Kaufman for transcribing this episode. I'm Lisa Don Hamilton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Do We Know Things, and you can email me at doweknowthings at gmail.com. Do We Know Things is released every second Monday, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, I would love it if you could subscribe and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time on Do We Know Things.